everything goes, everything returns. Eternally holds the wheel of existence. Everything dies, everything blossoms forth again. Eternally runs on the year of existence. Everything breaks, everything is integrated anew. Eternally builds itself the same house of existence. All things separate, all things again meet one another. Eternally true to itself remains the ring of existence. Every moment begins existence, around every here rolls the boulder. The middle is everywhere. Crooked is the path of eternity. Hey guys, sorry about the. Uh, I've got to. I've got to acknowledge uh, mea culpa. The sound quality for this episode's kind of crummy. Um, I mean, we're such cheapskates here in the, the studios of the Rogue Philosopher, basically doing this on my iPhone using the Voice Memos app. And what I tried to record yesterday, I tried to prevent the wind from distorting the sound, uh, and I tried to block the wind. I've tried several different ways. I've explained this before. Yesterday, I tried putting saran wrap over the, the mic pickup. And not only did that fail to block the wind, but it seems to have enhanced the background noise. It's weakened the signal-to-noise ratio. Don't I sound technically proficient? And, and uh, you know, the voice doesn't, it doesn't sound good. I'm sorry for that. We've, uh, we're doing our best to clean it up to get the best out of it that we can get out of it. Um, but certainly, I'm, I'm, if, if you'll, be, if you'll uh, uh, demonstrate forbearance, it won't happen again because I, I won't make that mistake again. Just there's, I'm trying to figure out ways to be able to record outside and to prevent the wind from blowing and, and distorting the quality. Because it does sound nicer outside. I mean, right here, I'm inside. I, I bet it sounds much nicer outside. But I have yet to figure out a, a, a proper way to break the wind uh, from cascading over the, the pickup or what have you. Uh, but in any case, I'm sorry for that. It won't, it won't be a problem in any episodes that follow this one. Hopefully that doesn't detract from your enjoyment or what you might take from this episode. This is the first one about Dark. I'm summarizing it. Uh, the episode immediately following that one will be a discussion of one of the primary forces in the entire drama, and that's, of course, the time loop, the wormhole itself, the eternal recurrence, what Friedrich Nietzsche called eternal recurrence and Mircea Iliade called eternal return. Okay, so thank you so much again. Sorry for the sound quality. I'm looking forward to talking with you more. Be well. This is the beginning segment, the first episode of Dark that deals with the first and second seasons of Dark, and we'll pick up tomorrow when the third season drops. I'm pretty well behind, and I, I've, I've had to deal with um, technical issues that have put me on an even slimmer equipment budget or, 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 or lack of quality equipment to wit. I had a headset, so no headset until I get a new headset. I now have nothing but an iPhone with saran wrap taped over the mic. It should be blocking out the wind, I hope, for the sound quality. Hopefully this sounds good. And I'm going to smoke in a few minutes as well while I'm doing this. So this is all kind of nice. So I guess heavy spoiler alerts. Spoiler alerts dwell here. Interpretations uh, without stuff in front of me, though. Uh, I'm sure that I'll be wrong more than once, which is okay. I can always revise or repeat myself and come at this circumstances again. I mean, this sort of a, this sort of a document is, is um, one can edit it at least, or I can, uh, I can go back later 
failing all else, I can dub something else into it, or I can uh, a, attempt to go after a concept again, because they're inexhaustible, the ideas that are in this. And this is inspired by Baron Bo Odar, by Dark. Dark is about to begin its third season. Its first two seasons were dropped on Netflix, queues uh, respectively in 2017 and 2019, I think. Yeah, 2018. I'm not exactly 100% sure of it. But third season, it has 2020 now, also takes place in 2020. They, like they did last summer, they lined up season two with the, the actual chronological time of, of the real world. So it was really cool. Now you, you'd think, so before I get into anything metaphysical or, or referential to philosophy in any kind, I'd just, I'll briefly take the time to give a brief synopsis of the whole show, of its first two seasons, and then to go back and place some more of the groundwork by talking about season one, where we meet all of the important characters uh, at the beginning of their arcs that will arc across the seasons. Um, and even if you die in dark, it's, it's, you're still running around in some other part of the, the time loop somewhere. But, um, there, there are sometimes new characters brought into the show as well. For example, in episode 8 of the first season, now we see old Alexander running the power plant, but it takes us eight episodes to figure out how he arrived in Winden. Young Alexander, that is. Okay, so let's do a very brief description, uh, geographical description. Winden is a fictional town in Germany, West Germany, in the southwest. I assume it's near the Black Forest. Uh, it's a small town. Uh, the forests have a huge part to play in the storyline, and its ambiance, and where a lot of the major events occur is uh, in those woods. You know, so it's it's a, it has all the spooky elements of a of a good horror novel or a fairy tale. You know, in Germany, the woods are spooky anyway, aren't they? They're, they're, I've never been there, but I mean, they're aren't they really spooky and dark and dense? You, you kind of know why the Brothers Grimm had such an easy time of it collecting folklore from, from the peasantry who lived in that forest. I mean, it, it's spooky. I imagine any, anybody would be spooked by it. Primeval forests, you know. Well, here, for instance, in America, in the U.S., in New England especially, all of our forests are quite young. Even though they seem like they're wilderness, they go on forever and ever, because at one time everything was cut down in this whole state. All Maine, all the state of Maine was farmed. They attempted to grow crops and failed. So none of our forests are very old, even the oldest forests. Unless you really go, you know, find old growth forest, it's either protected in a state park or it's way off the grid, way off the Katahdin uh, ironworks, way out there, chaos, I don't know, it's, you know, it's a big state, but our forests are quite young. Comparatively, compared to the old world, new world forest is a young forest. Uh, before, European settlers came to this continent, um, they had an entirely different ecosystem. I haven't delved into this very deeply, because I'm not a scientist of environmental science exactly, but they, they had an entirely different ecosystem here, and they, when the settlers came, it annihilated the old order. Most of the species went extinct. A lot of the trees died. Many were killed purposefully to attempt to farm. Uh, you know, obviously the peoples were displaced and, and killed the... Um, Settlers went west and killed more people, and then more of them 
were killed by the people they were killing, and it just all became a big American nightmare. Um, Winden is in southwest Germany. It's a small town. There are four primary interlocking families in this in this drama, with some secondary and tertiary characters out on the outside, on the periphery, as it were. Okay, and the four families. The four families' names are, if I can get this right, I'll be kind of proud of myself. Doppler, Tiedemann, Conwald, and Nielsen. Okay. The first episode of the first season shows us a, a stable situation in a, in a sense. It's, it's not yet, it's not yet a, uh, a period of total peace, but it's probably the most peaceful moment in the lives of any of these people in these families. Uh, it's an old adage of writing that in a drama you want to start in, they call it starting in media arrest, okay? where you deliberately take up your drama in the midst of an opening scene where you're in the middle of the sequence and stuff's happening and you can't really place it. You can't really place it. And that's what Baron Bodar, of course, what he does in the beginning of Dark. Um, ultimately, the, the timeline of the story, though it loops and loops and loops back and forth and all around, begins for the primary character, who's Jonas Conwald, begins for Jonas after the death of his father, Michael. Michael Conwald. Um, there are a number of primary characters, all of whom have a, a sophisticated storyline, narrative timeline. Um, some of them arc, and some of the, but all of them arc. You know, some of them don't arc as much, but most of them have an arc. A primary character has to be point A to point B. They have to have progressed, or else the story is not one that changes characters, and then it's just a, a very boring story. These four families are out, you know, if you expand outwards. The main characters of these of that show are, and I can explain this, it's going to sound kind of weird and metaphysical, okay? The forest and the cave are characters. The passageway in the cave with the door through time is also a character. Black Hole um, and the four families, which are full of characters. So the families themselves have a certain trajectory also. And they're interlocked and interwoven such that it's impossible to determine really who is who in the end. Okay. It's so, and you can see this during the season one, uh, every time they're in the bunker, especially the bunker in 2052, uh, they're looking up at the wall and there's this gigantic collage. Jonas has one on his wall, uh, the adult Jonas, when he comes to Winden as adult Jonas. Um, some of the secondary characters, as far as geographic are concerned, are the hotel, the school. You know, why am I talking about inanimate objects as though they were characters? Okay, because they are. And, and writers have to treat... You don't just put something in the path of your character because, oh, I'm telling a story, so the sun would be shining. I mean, of course, because the sun is shining now. Okay, no, you, everything you do, every word, there isn't a single word out of place. Every word has to be supported by dramatic need has to, or else you're just wasting time. It's not arbitrary. You don't just say, well, the afternoon was sunny out of arbitrariness. We're taught to think about life that way, but that's not the case. If you have a character, you put them into a sunny afternoon for a reason. Either you want to mock them because they're involved in something awful and painful and dark, or you want to accentuate 
something about the character, something about their personality or their goal. You, and so you change the lighting accordingly to fit the emotion, the inner emotional world makeup of the character. Okay, this is common knowledge. This is uh, stuff that writers do all the time, mostly without realizing that they are doing it. The ones who realize how needful it is are better refined writers. They're, they're, they're better at understanding the purpose of each scene, the emotional ambiance you want to communicate, the actual ambiance that you want to get across, the, um, the concepts. And they always say to a writer, you know, show, don't tell, show, don't tell. Well, he, Baron Bodar bends that rule considerably in a number of cases, but it, it, it's, very, it's very difficult. You're not supposed, in most stories, which is why action films are the most favorite, I think, of, by audiences. You know, most people in the audience aren't, their education may stop at a high school diploma or an undergraduate degree. They don't care about weird arcane symbolists from stuff that nobody's ever heard of. You know, they do want action. And most action movies are, are so simple as to be... Imagine listening to them blind without a commentary. You'll realize how boring most action movies are. Okay, it's a, I, I hate comic books, I graphic novels, all this crap. I can't read them. Uh, I'm tired of hearing about them because I can't read them. You know, so... Most storylines are weakened by weak coverage of the author or weak technique. And that's not the case with Baron Boda. He knows exactly what he's doing. Not a single word is out of place, not one. Not a single shot, not a single frame, nothing. It's all of it as clear and as necessary as can be. Okay. Four families. We initially become acquainted with them at and slightly after the time of Michael Conwald's suicide. Okay. Jonas is an only child. He has no brothers or sisters, although for reasons that make sense only as the, 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 the drama continues. He has a close relationship with Nico, um, which is the child version of Michael, but no one is aware of this at first. Nico has two siblings, um, Martha and Magnus. Okay. The Nielsens are Ulrich Nielsen. No, not the Nielsens. The, the, um, am I thinking of adopters? Um, Ulrich and Katarina Nielsen. Okay. Katarina is the principal at the school that Jonas attends. And all the kids, all the children of these four families all go to the Wynn High School. Okay. There's a hotel in Winden that's owned by Regina Tiedemann. Uh Her husband, Alexander Tiedemann, owns the nuclear power plant. And, the, and these are these are these are characters too. The inanimate objects are also characters, and they too have changes. And we're interested mostly in the characters, but it, it needs to be pointed out. This is a very a mystical and cerebral fiction show. It's it's kind of like Twin Peaks in that sense, a little bit. And when I first began to watch Dark, my first thought was rather uncharitable, and I, I'm like, well, I've already seen uh, uh, Stranger Things. It looks very similar at the beginning to Stranger Things. A spooky power plant, a spooky dimensional portal, 
you know, but it's none of those things. It's, it's, um, nobody has psionic abilities in dark. Okay, the Nielsen's, the Conwalds, Hannah Conwald, Mary, Michael Conwald. Uh, the other two families, you have the Dopplers, and that's uh, <clears throat> Charlotte Doppler is the sheriff of the town. <clears throat> She's a police officer. Ulrich works for her. Ulrich Nielsen is one of uh, Charlotte's officers. Okay. Um, Peter Doppler, I think he married into Charlotte's family. Uh, he is Jonas's psychologist. <clears throat> He's a psychologist. Uh, the older generation are Tronte. Helga, um, Claudia, uh, <clears throat> I know I'm forgetting somebody, that's why I'm always, I'm a little reluctant to just rattle stuff off, but you, know, you have to have a diagram in front of you and it, it's, it's awfully convoluted. Francesca Doppler is the young girl, she's friends with Jonas Magnus. <clears throat> um, Wait, there's uh, Francesca Doppler, okay? And then there's another family, the Nielsen's, the Conwalds, the Dopplers and the Tiedemann. Okay, the old man is, the, is uh, a cop in 1986. His name's Egon Tiedemann. He's not in the beginning of the show because the timeline, he's, he's died. Claudia Tiedemann controls the nuclear power plant in the 80s. As a you know, young woman, she's an executive power plant. And that's Alexander's job in 2019. There's often complaints about these characters that they're not very sympathetic, that they're they're, they're all of them confronted by some existential problems in one form or another. Uh, but the central axis of all of these is uh, Jonas, Jonas Conwald. So the first show of the first season opens with the relation between Hannah and Ulrich. They're having an affair. Ulrich is a married man. He has a, what to all appearances looks like a, a good family. It's a very small town. These people know each other very well. Hannah and Katarina have known each other for, oh, easily 35 years. All the families have children. Regina and Alexander are um, yeah, Marty. It's so hard to keep these families straight. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. You'll have to forgive me for that. Um, Bartosh is the only other character I haven't brought into the description here. He's one of the kids as well. Um, 
there's been a disappearance in Winden. Two weeks before the show opens, a kid named Eric Owendorf disappeared. Now, as far as Ulrich is concerned, Eric ran off. He fled. For whatever reason, he ran from the town. And we know very swiftly that's not actually the case. He's been abducted. Now, the show opens. The first thing you see is, is Michael Conwald's suicide. That's the opening sequence. You don't know why he's chosen to kill himself. The traditional reasons are accepted. You know, why do people kill themselves? Suicide's usually because of some kind of agony. Uh, stuff that people can't overcome and they end up killing themselves. When you've lost, when you've lost all your hope and you can't go on, usually the result is suicide. We learn very quickly that Hannah and Ulrich have a complicated relationship that goes back to when they were children in high school. Hannah has been in love with Ulrich for as long as she's been alive. But so is uh, Katarina. Katarina is a fiery woman. Uh, she's very authoritarian. Her job as principal makes sense. Um, this is demonstrated by her trying to get her family out the door when the kids are going to school. And Ulrich returns in the middle of that mess, fleeing from Hannah's bedroom uh, to take charge of his children. And it, 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 apparently he's a very loving father. Maybe not the best husband, but he's a good man. He's a good cop and he's a good father. And this is clearly demonstrated by how he treats Michael, Mikal. Mikal is an amateur magician, uh, 11 or 12 years old. He's obsessed with Houdini, with the idea of uh, magic and illusion. He does a magic trick for Ulrich at one point in the beginning, and he, he tricks him. He places a dice under a cup. You don't know which cup. When he lifts the first cup, the dice isn't there. You lift the second cup, it is there. How did the dice get from point A to point B? The question isn't how, but why, when. When did it go from point A to point B? When? It's an important question. It's part of the whole makeup of the entire story. As a child, Ulrich Nielsen was traumatized by the disappearance of his older brother, Mads. Mads vanished in 1986. Um, in, subsequently, in 1953, 1986, and 2019, there are disappearances of children, and the discovery of uh, the dead bodies of children who were murdered. But the children's bodies whom they find were the victims of murder in a different time. And they were dragged through time and dumped uh, in different locations. So the bodies, the murderers weren't just able to hide their crimes by dumping the bodies. They dumped the different bodies in different parts of a time loop. That is a 99-year cycle. It's on a 33-year interval. Uh, it has to do with the alignment of a black hole in the middle of the town. The black hole is in the Winden Caves. Because of it, people are able to go into the caves and travel in 33-year jaunts or 66-year jaunts to either the past or to the future. 
it's indicated that it's easier to go backwards than forwards. Uh, that you can do so after a certain point. They, they uh, were able to jump to 2052 by the end of the first season. Okay. I mean, this you see, you see how confusing this is. Families are interwoven by their affairs and their secrets. Um, some of which are, are quite quite shady, actually. Ulrich's father is Trante Nielsen. He was a journalist when he was a young man. In this program. Trante and Yana start out as elders and they're easily in their late 70s. Uh, both need nursing home care. Another character who knew Claudia, knew, him, knew her well, along with Trante, is Helge Doppler. Helge Doppler has a tragic life and a, and a, and a screwed up existence. And... Um, He works at the nuclear power plant, but he's not a high-up worker. He does, he works there. Uh, he's more like a janitor for the nuclear power plant than a technician. He doesn't work on the, the reactor itself, I don't think. We begin in 2019, well, yeah, 2017, and the show dropped. The chronology begins in 2019 with the disappearance of Eric Owendorf. A disappearance that's put a lot of people on edge, but mostly it's not. The, uh, the old timers feel something's going on. But what it is, they don't quite understand, or why they definitely don't understand. The young people don't know about the past of the town, but the middle-aged people do, the adults. So it's this way that Ulrich Nielsen is challenged by Charlotte, by Charlotte uh, Doppler, by his boss, that the disappearance of Eric is reminiscent of that of Ulrich's older brother Mats in 1986. And there are going to be more disappearances and murders as the show progresses. Some of the bodies get mismatched to the time they were murdered. So there's one group, there's one kid who was murdered and brought back in time to 1953, another in 1986, another in 2019. The children who are murdered and disappear are never found in the timeline in which they were murdered. They're always, they always are uh, discovered in different times. The police are powerless to track down the murderers or to figure out why, it's, it's impossible. Ulrich denies at once that there's any similarity between the events occurring at the beginning in the show, we'll call it events, the events occurring now, we'll say. The events occurring now are in no way relatively connected or in any other way connected to the disappearance of Mats. Of course they are. Charlotte already intuits this from the outset. Ulrich doesn't want to admit it to himself. It's too much. It's too painful. First episode, the children are wondering what happened to Eric. So Jonas finds himself in uh, quite a painful situation. He's lost his father several months before by suicide. 
uh, the note that Michael left to clarify things for Jonas doesn't reach Jonas's hands until a certain point on the evening of November 4th, 2019, 10.13 p.m. After that time, it's okay for the woman, uh, Inez Conwald, to open up the envelope where the suicide note is and to read it. It's not meant for her, it's meant for Jonas. We find out that Bartosh and Jonas are close friends. Um, Bartosh covered for him while he was in the insane asylum, being treated for severe trauma and depression over the death of his father. The love interest for both Jonas and Bartosh is, is Martha uh, Nielsen. Okay. So, the three children of Ulrich are Nico, Martha, and Magnus. The beginning of that show, everybody's present, everybody's there, present and accounted for. Everything's happy. When Eric disappeared, it's rumored that he left a massive stash of drugs in, in the Winded Caves. A giant bag of marijuana and a couple of bags of pills. Eric was a, a drug dealer. Now, Bartosh recognizes very swiftly and he presents the idea to Jonas. And then later, subsequently to all the children in the, in the show, they all end up understanding that Eric's drugs are, are valuable. Bartosh suggests, well, if we go into the Winden Caves and we recover his drugs, not only are they good drugs, but we can sell them and we can make money from selling them also. And we can do them because it's, it's good marijuana, it's, it's uh, the pills, it's a big stash of drugs that's left in the cave. So, on the night of the first opening day, the first opening episode, the first sequence of, of Dark, they decide to recover those drugs and uh, sell them, take them, have fun. Unfortunately for Miko, he ends up caught up in this as well. He's younger than the children, so the, the young people kind of watch over him. And they see it as sort of their duty is to protect Miko. There's no one who can babysit him. So Martha's forced to bring him along, and all the children go to the Winden Caves on that evening to try to find Eric's drugs. In the process of finding Eric's drugs, Miko disappears. One minute he's there, running with Jonas from the cave, the next minute he's gone. No one knows why. They do find a corpse the next morning, but it's not the corpse of, uh, of uh, Eric. It's the corpse of Ulrich's once older brother, Matt's. They find his dead body near the end of the first season, episode one, sort of sequence. Jonas takes the disappearance of Miko particularly hard. They have a close relationship, and it's, it's not entirely sure why they seem to. It's almost as though Jonas and Miko are brothers. It's almost like that, but Jonas is an only child. But it affects them all. It's, it's quite devastating for all of them, for Martha and for Magnus as well, and especially for Ulrich. Katarina, it hits her hard, but it hits Ulrich even harder, because it does, despite his attempts to protest, it is like when he lost his older brother. Now he's lost his son. But he's a cop. He's an investigator. He has resources, and he starts to try to figure out the pattern immediately, at once. The black hole in the cave has woken up, as it were. At this particular part of the loop, the timelines are connected through the black hole in the cave. 
you pass through a door. When you pass through the door, you come out the other side in a different time period. The door is labeled with the word Sigmundus Creatus Est, which is uh, a version, and, and the triquatra. It's called the triquatra or a triqueta. It's the, the glyph you most often see associated with the Emerald Tablet of Hermes, the alchemical maxims. Okay, the most important one being that which is above is that which is below for the glory of one, for one. And it's an esoteric symbol that connects a lot of different esoteric uh, worldviews, Rosicrucian, uh, maybe to an extent Freemasonic, alchemical, uh, Renaissance magic. Okay, the kind of magic they, that Cornelius Agrippa wrote about uh, in his uh, in his three works, uh, occult philosophy. Okay, there's a number of occult concepts and texts brought into the show that also draw upon many of the major philosophers of classical or German idealism, classical German philosophy or German idealism. Because Baron Bodar is clearly very knowledgeable about these paradigms and, and these esotericisms. They add a lot of spookiness to the show. It becomes a very, very more cerebral. And because of the murders, disappearances, and, and uh, uh, love affairs, the characters turn out to be largely unlikable on account of the ways that they hurt one another. One has one loses sympathy for them on numerous occasions because they are they're pretty they're cruel to one another across families and within families there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, secrecy a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of a lot of actions determined by these characters out of out of selfishness even guile and trickery you'll learn as the show progresses and i have to point this out now because it, it, it might actually help clarify a lot of it the least truthful the most guileful, perhaps the cruelest, is probably poor Jonas's mother, Hannah Conwall. None of the others, except for Noah and Claudia, really quite surpass her manipulative, her cruelty. But of course, the true villain in the first season is Noah. You never learn his last name. Noah is never revealed if he belongs to one of these families, to which one does he belong? How is he connected to this? It's never really clarified. He is a renegade, evil, Christian priest. He dresses like a cleric. He uses a theological language. And at different times throughout the series, in different time periods, he behaves in his capacity of his vocation as a confessor, as a, as a, 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 a clergyman. Uh, it, it's tempting, and I can't resist the temptation to evoke... Uh, the title of a story by H.P. Lovecraft, which has nothing to do with the show, except that its title is, is pretty cool and connected to this. The story was called The Evil Clergyman, as Noah certainly is. He is a, uh, truly, by his actions, it's easy to determine initially that he is an evil clergyman. He is a child murderer, at least, uh, and his motivations are speculative and spooky. You don't really understand why. When these bodies are discovered by the police at different time periods, they are dead because the cause of death was electricity, electrocution. 
there's a pattern of burns over their face such that the face cannot be identified by looking at the face. So much damage is done by the electricity that the children are, are unrecognizable. They can't be identified, which hence it adds to the mystery. When they find, when the police in these different time periods find these bodies, none of them can be identified. After recovering Eric Ohlendorf's drugs, they don't find Eric. But Mikhail disappears. And when he comes out of the caves again, he's in the year 1986. Jonas discovers a few episodes further down, with the help of a mysterious stranger, that he can travel to this cave and go underground through the door, through the triquatra door, and he too can travel through time. Uh, all of the characters who end up going through time use that means to travel through the different the doorway to the different time periods. They use the cave. The time travelers primarily are Claudia, Noah, and Jonas. In the first first season, none of the other children travel through time, except for Nico, who was kidnapped. Nico, when he vanished, either by some machination or other, you find out later he was kidnapped indeed is led through time where he's lost. He alone, he can never find his way back. He doesn't have the right map. He can find the caves, but he can't get his way back through the door for reasons that are mysterious and have a lot to do with the trajectory of the families. Now, there are several secondary characters introduced who are carried along by the plot, but they're not, they're not the movers of, of the storyline or of uh, time travel. Among them are the other police who work with Ulrich, the police who work with Egon. Egon Tiedemann is active in two of the three time periods. He's active in 1953 when he was a young police officer. And he's active in 1986, a year before his retirement as a police officer for the town of Linden. We don't really know how Winden fared before 1953. We get a little bit of a glimpse in the second season for it. But you know this much, history being what it is. The Germans survived the war. Uh, all the young people who appear in the 1950s version of Winden would have been eight years removed from Hitler's tyranny. Um, and one can certainly make the argument that some of the malaise that afflicts these characters is visited upon them because of the war. Germany fought two wars in the 20th century, we know this, it's common knowledge. Germany was defeated twice. They defeated in World War I by the collapse of their economy. Uh, they were blockaded by the British Navy and eventually defeated. Uh, the defeat was imminent on the battlefield, um, but the consequences of their defeat far exceeded losing a war. They lost their nation. They lost everything that they had, all their standing in the world internationally. The Weimar Republic was an easy uh, regime for Hitler to topple and of course, beginning the Second World War, Hitler was able to conquer Weimar by using the Treaty of Versailles to stoke hatred and the humiliation of a German people. And so now, at least you know that Egon Tiedemann, as a young man, had to have grown up and come of age during the war. And he had to have experienced the saturation bombing. He had to have been 
you know, all of those characters who were adults in 1953 would have experienced the, the Third Reich in its fullest incarnation before the Allies defeated them. So these people, under even the best circumstances, and they're not under the best circumstances, would have been severely traumatized by the war and damaged subsequently as a result. Psychologically, many of them are very uh, twisted and, and, and mentally ill. They're weak from the, the persistence of the war. Come on. When Jonas loses Mikkel, this sets in motion a number of events that will sweep all four families along. All of them have secrecy. All of them are hiding something. All of them are guilty of something. Jonas finds himself by the end of the first episode coping with these two disasters in his life. The death of his father and the subsequent disappearance of, of Miko. While incarcerated in the mental hospital, Jonas also lost his girl, Martha. Martha ended up taking up with Bartosh. It's a point of stress between the two friends and by the end of the first season the two young men are friends no longer. They're they are estranged and on opposite sides of the conflict. The first episode introduces through his dialogue. Baron Boadar's dialogue, he sets up every succeeding event that will occur in the series by some line of dialogue or other, not all of which will be clear and still don't remain entirely clear even to this moment. Some of what they say to each other and do in the first season makes more sense in light of the second, but the second isn't the completion of it. I imagine the third season is. If he wants to stick to his, his pattern, his esoteric pattern, evoking all threes, threes, trinities, triplets, 33 years, 33, 60, next, 6, 99 years, I don't foresee him having a fourth season. I think season three will be the summation of Dark. Its third season will be its completion. Everything he does revolves around these numbers. And it revolves around these three separate timelines. Uh, well, points along the line, I should say. Noah, through the first season, has Helge working for him as a helper to do the kidnapping. By the end, Bartosh joins Noah as well to help with the, uh, the kidnapping or to do whatever he's asked to do by Noah. Arrayed against him are the Wyndon police, uh, Charlotte Doppler in the uh, 21st century, and Ulrich Nielsen also initially in the 21st century. In 1986 and 1953, he's opposed by Officer Tideman. Okay. The nuclear power plant and the hotel change hands. 1953, they belong to one family, the do the uh, Topplers, <laughs> I think the Topplers, and they end up in the hands of, of Claudia. They end up with the Tideman family, initially with Claudia, and then in 2019 with Alexander uh, Tideman. And uh, Regina runs the hotel. You can see you can see how sort of confusing this is, can't you? I don't have a graph in front of me. There are some online that are uh, worthy of worth looking at. They help clarify things quite a bit because you want to have in the time stream 
there may in fact be occasions of I'm my own grandpa kind of deal. Or I'm somebody's relative who I shouldn't be messing around with. Most of these characters are involved in romantic relationships that are damaged and that are uh, uh, illicit. Okay? That, are, that are somehow shouldn't be allowed to, to go on. But because everything is so twisted, they do. It's often referenced to the maze of the Minotaur. Okay? Or, as a, re as a watcher of the show, I'm led to think of the Gordian Knot of uh, Alexander, uh, where the Gordian Knot cannot be untied by anybody. And it said when he's about to conquer Babylon, look, if you can uh, untie this knot, um, you will conquer the world. And so Alexander, being kind of smarter than the priests, the Egyptian priests of Ra, he just cuts through the knot, and he conquers the world, pretty close to the edge of uh, the Himalayan mountains. And it's, it's in the same manner that this black hole has woven a Gordian knot of time. It cannot be, it can't be undone by its own rules. Oftentimes, the majority of these characters try to change the events that, they, that are going to occur or that are already occurring. They keep trying to do so by traveling to different perspectives on the timeline, try to reverse it, and they all fail. It can't be changed. Even though a character's chronology and their, their subsequent arc, their development as, as characters, moves forward, this forward momentum is with no, with no regard to their travel through the black hole forwards or backwards. No matter where they find themselves, they continue to move forward in their development along the lines of their adulthood, old age, and eventual death. Okay? I know, I know, this is confusing. I get it. I get it. Wyndham is isolated from the rest of Germany, it seems, in the, in the show, its thematic structure. You rarely, at one point in the first episode, uh, at the beginning, Ulrich is an enthusiastic participant in his love affair with Hannah. Although he hasn't uh, done anything necessarily to damage his, his family or his marriage directly, he's having an affair, he's keeping it secret and hidden, and... Eventually that will come back to haunt him in a way that the karma that he gets is such devastating retribution for his, his sins against his wife. It's, you, you, you can't help but feel incredibly sorry for poor Ulrich Nielsen. Uh, might even go so far as to say the, the fuster cluck that Ulrich finds himself entrapped in. You wouldn't wish, you wouldn't want to wish upon your worst enemies. Okay. The only ones who appear to have freedom ultimately are Jonas, Claudia, and Noah. Because they can use this time gate and they have the illusion that they can change the events by going back before the events. We can just go back to the time before, we can prevent them from occurring, we know what's going to happen, and it fails. It fails each time. Okay. Among the secondary characters, one of the most important characters is named... Um, H.G. Tannhouse. H.G. Tannhouse, we're unsure of exactly what his relationship is with these families. Okay? But he has something. He's somehow connected in some way. It's, I, I don't feel like it's satisfactorily clarified in the first or in the second season. He does two things that are important to the forward-driving plot of the story. Okay? First thing he does is he authors a book 
called The Journey Through Time by H.G. Tannhaus. There's a book that describes the rules that the black hole, the singularity, is imposing upon the town and, and how time travel works through the wormhole. Okay? Its circular nature is known to Tannhaus, but there's nothing he can do to disentangle it. In 1953, H.G. Tannhaus was presented by an old woman with two things. One was a copy of the book he would later write and publish in 1986 called The Journey Through Time. The second prop he was presented with was a blueprint. In 1953, the old version of Claudia presented him with a blueprint for a machine that once all of the pieces of it are assembled and its fuel is, is obtained, it is a generator that can build a black hole. And that black hole can open, uh, it can open up the three doors through the uh, triketa with even greater authority, but it also can open up the triketa for one to travel either back to 1919 or to 2052. That's what we see in the second season. The world of the future, 2052, is, a, is a, 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 a titanic war zone with death and bombs and violence, and most of the town is destroyed along with the power plant. Uh, 1919 is our time. 2019 is our time. 86 is where Mikal lands. 53 is where Ulrich lands when he later follows Mikal through the door. But he has to go through a lot of misery in the first five episodes before he gets a chance to travel through the door. Jonas is the only one who ends up walking in all of these time streams. <clears throat> okay. His character then is the most mobile, along with Noah and Claudia. His is the most mobile across the years, across the century. It's a 99 year span and more. Okay. It's 130, 32 years between 1919 and 2052. We learn more about that span in the second season. Jonas is driven by a need to save Mikko, to find him, to retrieve him, to bring him home. That's his primary goal throughout all three, of, uh, probably even through the third season. That will still be Jonas's mission. Okay. The objects in the program, the props that I mentioned that are integral to the plot, generate themselves from nothing. They're self-representative uh, items. The book writes itself. Tannhaus is not a writer, but a plagiarist. The machine ends up building itself. A machine Tannhaus would never have known how to build if he weren't presented with the blueprints. Tannhaus is a watchmaker. He's a clockmaker and he runs a small store where he sells watches and clocks of varying sizes. He's fascinated by time. He's a scientist, a physicist, he understands time travel. But the only reason he's able to understand time travel is because he ends up plagiarizing his own book and publishing it in 1986, A Journey Through Time. It's because of this book that Claudia and Noah learn about the singularity and the wormhole. In Claudia's case, poor Helge, while working for Noah, killing children, is also trying to romance Claudia. He's had a crush on Claudia since he was nine years old, back in 1953. 
Um, he gives her the gift of Tannhaus's book in 1986. The book that describes to Claudia uh, how the wormhole works, how it's connected to radiation and electricity and electromagnetic fields. Were it not for that, she would not have understood how the wormhole worked in the Windham Caves, and she would never have understood how to build the device that comes to the fruition of its arc in 2019. <laughs> okay, you, you see the task I, I'm, I'm, I'm faced with, laying down the groundwork for this drama. Now, all of the characters have significant challenges and they evolve and change, buckling under the weight of those trials. Okay? These aren't people who are having happy lives. Okay, they, they, There's an enormous amount of suffering in the lives of all of these people. And made more so because they lack the capacity to wrap their minds around what they're trying to cope with together, okay? They live in a third dimension where time only travels forwards. They are thrust into the idea of a fourth dimension where the forward flow of time is malleable. Yet even though time is moving forward for their consciousnesses, it moves backward because of their position on the timeline. Okay? But when they travel backward, they trigger whatever self-generated cycle entraps each of them. For example, when Ulrich travels back through time, he has a copy of Tannhaus's book. It's not he who gives it to Tannhaus, but he has a copy of it. Oftentimes, these props can appear in two or three time streams at once. Now, I've initially begun to lay out the groundwork to explicate the forces acting on these characters. Okay? They're acted on by the, by the strength of their desires, and they're entangled into relationships. And they're entrapped by their inability to master travel through time. Helga Doppler is, is uh, damaged mentally, Alzheimer's perhaps, trauma from a blow to the head. We don't know until the end. And he is ultimately the only one who understands it's happening again. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. It's happening again. It's happening again. Now, I'm assuming you and I are current on having watched both the first and the second season as they dropped across the years. And tomorrow we'll start watching the third season together. So, suffice it to say, the mentally damaged Helge is the only one who has some concept of this time stream causing events to recur and recur and recur. What he doesn't fully understand, that Noah and Claudia do understand, and that Tynehouse also, <laughs> is that there's nothing that can be done to escape from the time loop. Once you travel along its axis, there's no way out. There's no escape, and there's no changing the events that have occurred as they occurred. Okay? Now, why can't these things be changed? Well, partly because of the rules of time travel, and partly because you aren't capable of changing what you want. You can't change your desires. Um, as often stated in the ultimately failed um, 
Game of Thrones series, you can't help who you love. Now, most humans know this. We don't, we don't turn these things on or off in us. We desire who we desire, whatever that may mean. Okay? And we can't dissociate ourselves from that and gain control because we have no control over it. And this is the case in this show and it's the case in real life. You cannot alter who you love. Okay? Whatever the consequences may be, you cannot change who you love. Now that, the consequences one may face, it may be the wrong person according to the cultural parlance in which you live. For example, it's discovered that uh, Claudia's mother and a mysterious woman, we don't quite learn how she's connected to all of this right away. Uh, Claudia's mother ends up taking up with Agnes Nielsen in a love affair. Tidem and uh, Egon is at best uh, an inattentive husband, right? But it's doubled, it's compounded for he's in, not an inattentive father. He's a good man. He's a good father. But he's a, not a good husband, much like Ulrich. Uh, but, and I, I'm blanking on her name, uh, the woman, uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not able to draw her name out of my brain just now. Claudia, Claudia's mother is also bisexual. And when she takes up her love affair with Agnes, this is the means by which Tronte and Claudia meet. Tronte is Agnes's son, Tronte Nielsen. <laughs> and this matters because there's a certain point in the stream where poor old bastard Ulrich ends up meeting his own father when his father was a child. That's an echo of Jonas meeting his own father when he was a child. For it turns out that Mikal, the man who will later become Michael, Conwald, is in fact the father of Jonas Conwald. Okay, now, how are we on time here? How are we on the amount of time that I've... I'm just going to stop this episode right now. Give a shout out to my usual sponsors, you know, the Esoteric Order of, uh, of Melchizedek. Uh, the Alchemical Brotherhood of the Luciferian Lobster, and uh, Cogliostro's Bones. Shout out. All hail Cogliostro's Bones. We're delighted. Hail Lucifer. Let us all be happy, right? Do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. Uh, I'm going to stop now. Usually an hour at a time is a good start. I will, into the, in this episode, in the second part, get more into the philosophy, the German idealism, and the Nietzschean uh, and, and Iliadin eternal return. Okay, I'll get into that. So I'm going to shut this off right now, and let's see if this is a good beginning. Okay, and I think I've explicated through, through the first episode at least some of the plot points and the characters, what drives them, motivates them, and how they're connected to one another. Okay, the second half of this first episode, I'm going to delve more into the arcs of these characters in the first season, and I'm going to draw in by turns different philosophical concepts that match the drama as it proceeds. Okay, so I'll talk with you soon. Cool.